Good morning and happy new year. So glad that you've chosen to start off your new year with us here at Midway today. You know, isn't it a blessing to be the first day of the year and to have one of the first things, first places that you were able to go is to go and to worship God. We're so thankful that you've chosen to do that with us today. As we begin our lesson today, we begin our theme for this year. We we know that the Lord has introduced that to us back in uh, December of last year. Our theme, of course, for the year is God rules in the kingdoms of men dealing with crisis in America. And, of course, this year we're going to be dealing with several things and our lessons that have to do with crisis in America. But I want us to begin this morning by thinking about the moral state of our nation for just a moment. That's not going to be the entirety of our lesson today. But many of you are familiar with the Gallup organization. In years gone by, a Gallup poll was something that people looked up to. You know, there are a lot of organizations now that do polling, and so Gallup is not necessarily the one that we look to very much anymore. But back in 2016, that was last year now, back in May of last year, they came out with their annual poll relating to the morality of our nation and what people think in regard to that. And as you'll notice on the screen before you this morning, there are three different numbers that are there in regard to the nation's morals and what people think about it. There are 18% of the people that they polled last year that said that the state of our morals in our nation are excellent. Now, I don't know where they found those people. It may have been that they were under a rock somewhere and they hadn't been able to see anything going on around them. But 18% said that morality in our nation was excellent. 36% said that the morality in our nation is only fair. And then 43% said that the morality in our nation is poor. I think most of us would agree with at least that last one and and probably if we polled this audience this morning, the number would be quite a bit higher than what you see there. But we are having a crisis in America in regard to our morality. But you know, morality is not the only crisis that we have in America, is it? There are so many things that are going on in our nation that we need to address, so many things that we have to think about, so many things that confront us every single day. Well, Wayne Jackson is a highly respected writer, and I have known him for many, many years and appreciate him so very much. But in an article that he penned some time ago, he began the article in talking about our nation, and, and he talked about the fact that there are people in our nation who are pessimists, there are people in our nation who are optimists, there are people in our nation who are realists, and, and most of us like to think of ourselves as being realists. And then he makes this statement. He says, I really do not know where I come down in my perspective of our nation. And then he goes on and says this. He says, of one thing I am quite certain that the Lord, the God of heaven, will accomplish his goals in this world. And I agree with him in that way. We don't know what's going on. We don't know what the future may hold. But one thing that we can be assured of is that God knows 
and that God will accomplish because God rules in the affairs and the kingdoms of men. And so this year we'll be talking about a number of things that are related to that, and I hope it will be interesting and helpful to us as we go through many of the lessons that we have planned and prepared for this year. Somebody said that religion and politics should not be mixed. Matter of fact, they said it should never be mixed. But I suggest to you that our forefathers intended that it be mixed in the sense that they keep the government out of our religious affairs, but yet keep the morality and keep the standards that are presented in the Word of God as the key and leading factor of our nation. Many in our society today have tried to drive God out, and they've taken statements that have been made in years gone by, even by our founding fathers, and twisted them to try to put um, uh, religion or try to put politics or try to put the government in religion to, to control it and to keep it pressed down when it was actually the opposite of that. But unless we have some standards in our world, unless we have God ruling in the affairs of man, in the kingdoms of mankind, then we have no hope. As we've stated this morning, there is a real crisis in America. Society is trying to drive God out. They do not realize who they are messing with because God still rules in the kingdoms of men. I want to call your attention this morning to the book of Acts, chapter number 12. If you have your Bible, you may want to open it up there and keep it open because we're going to be scanning through several different parts of that chapter and we'll be looking at different verses that, that we'll see there. But in the book of Acts chapter 12, we, we basically have it beginning with the story of how James is put to death. And then we have a story of a miraculous jailbreak by one of the other apostles, the apostle Peter. And it's not just any jailbreak, it's a divine jailbreak. God sends an angel to lead Peter out of the prison, out of the jail cell in which he finds himself at that time. And then at the end of that chapter, we have what Brother Jeff read to us this morning in regard to Herod and how that he lost his life because he did not give God the glory. Acts 12 contains that fascinating story of the jailbreak. It contains the fascinating story of the death of Herod, Herod Agrippa I. And as we think about it, we tend to treat the end of the chapter about the death of Herod Agrippa I as somewhat of a, a, an addendum to the story. But I want to suggest to you this morning that the chapter, Acts chapter 12, is about God delivering Peter, but it's equally about God defeating Herod. It's as much about that as it is about God delivering Peter by that divine jailbreak. And I suggest to you that in reading this story and, and reading this chapter, we understand more about God and how he does rule in the affairs of mankind. In Acts chapter 12, we have the prime example of God ruling in the kingdoms of men. Look at Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, and let's begin to get an understanding. 
Notice the first words of that chapter. The Bible says, About that time, Herod. Herod the king. Herod the one who was the ruler. Herod the one who was the, uh, the, the, the person who was in charge at that time. About that time, the Bible says, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Sometime I may preach a, a sermon on that just one phrase about some who belong to the church. But we know that these people who are part of the family of God, the kingdom of God, they're the ones that Herod is afflicting. And one in particular is mentioned here by the name of James. The Bible says, He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Remember, Peter, James, and John were the three companions of Jesus, the closest companions that Jesus had, the closest friends, evidently, that he had while he was here on this earth. And now James has been killed. And when he saw, the Bible says, verse number 3, when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. You see, evidently, Herod intended to execute Peter just as he had executed James. The Bible speaks about the fact that James had put him, uh, that Herod had put James to death with the sword. Generally, when we read that, uh, read that kind of writing, it seems that what it indicates is one has been beheaded, just as uh, uh, John the Baptizer was beheaded uh, several years prior. It's very likely that James himself was beheaded, and he was about to bring Herod, Peter. Uh, Herod was about to bring Peter out the next day to probably do the same thing to him according to verse number 6. You see, what we have here is a man, Herod, a king who had set himself up in essence as a god. He had put himself in the place of a god. He sought to stop Christianity. He sought to stop it because he thought that's what the people wanted. And he thought that would make him popular. But not only did he seek to do that, you see, he sought to control people. If you remember what uh, Jeff read a moment ago, he began by reading there in that passage what relationship Tyre and Sidon had with King Herod. Uh, they had displeased him according to what the Bible says. And as a result of that, Herod had decided to cease trading with them. You see, Tyre and Sidon up in the, sort of the, on the coast, up north of Jerusalem, to the north and to the west of Jerusalem, they had long depended on that part of the nation as their breadbasket. Back in the Old Testament, there are a number of passages that, that talk about that. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 27, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, The word of the Lord came to me, Now you, son of man, raise lamentation over Tyre. And then look at verse 17. He says, Judah, the land of Israel, traded with you. They exchanged your merchandise, wheat of menace, meal for your merchandise, wheat of menace, meal, honey, oil, and bomb. They traded, they, they were port cities, they brought things in, but they traded those goods for food. Again, in the Old Testament book of 
Ezra chapter 3 at verse number 7, the Bible says, So they gave money to the masons and the carpenters, and food and drink and oil to the Sidonians and the Tyrians to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the sea, to Joppa, according to the grant that they had made from Cyrus the king of Persia. Solomon traded food for timber according to the book of 1 Kings chapter 5 at verse number 11. And so long they had done that, but, but Herod decides, hey, I don't like what you've done, and so I'm just not going to trade with you. And as a result of that, perhaps people were in danger of starving at that point. Herod had pretty much set himself up to be a god. He'd set himself up to be a god because the crowds were cheering him, according to verse number 22, as a god. They said, the voice of a god, the voice of of a God. And Herod doesn't deny it, nor does he try to deter the people from saying it. And so God strikes Herod down. God puts a stop to it. He ceases this activity of this man who's trying to stop Christianity, this man who is trying to make himself to be in the place of a God. God puts a stop to it just as he had done many, many times before, just as he had done in nations that had come and that had gone prior to the time that Herod was ever born. And so this morning, what are some of the lessons that we can learn? As we see this story unfold for us here in the book of Acts chapter 12, of of this man and, and what he was trying to do, what are some of the things that we can learn? Well, here's one of the things that we can learn. Though God rules, it may not be to preserve our physical well-being. God is ruling in the kingdoms of men, but it may not be to preserve the physical well-being that we have. I want you to understand, as we read through the book of Acts chapter 12, God is ruling. Herod sets himself against God, and God ultimately takes him down. And in doing so, God allowed James to be executed, according to verse number 2, but he miraculously saved Peter, verses 6 through 11. You know, we don't always understand God and his actions, do we? There are a lot of things about God that are above our comprehension in the book of Isaiah, writer, chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I can't even begin to pretend to think the thoughts that God thinks. I can't pretend to know the things that God knows. I can't pretend to know how things will interact together to work. But I do understand that God does. And I do know that according to the book of Romans chapter 8 at verse number 28, that God can take all of those things that are happening, that are going on in our world, and He can make them work together for good. Notice that He did not say, Paul did not say in Romans chapter 8 at verse 28, that everything is good. The Bible says that God can take the things that we have going on in our world and make them work out for good, but God did not, Paul did not say that God said everything is good. 
It wasn't necessarily good, but James had died. They had been executed, probably beheaded. It wasn't necessarily a good thing. But God was still in control. You see, I don't know that God is going to preserve our physical well-being. He has never promised to do that. God does not work just to keep us fat and happy. There's an old saying that sometimes we hear. That's not the way that God does things. Truthfully, even though I believe with every ounce of my being that God rules in the kingdoms of men, I simply cannot stand here this morning and promise to you that God himself is going to to take care of you physically uh, speaking. That everything is going to be okay with you in your physical setting of this life. I can't tell you that God is going to intervene in the affairs of our nation and stop terror attacks. I cannot tell you today that God is going to cause our economy to boom and that people will be able to, to have jobs and make money and get riches. I can't tell you that. I can't tell you today that America will continue to be a safe haven in which we can come together like we are this morning and worship God, not fearing what people will do. You know, we have already started down the path of of having to think about what if somebody comes in and shoots us. But what if our government says, hey, we decided that you can't peacefully gather together. I can't promise you that God is going to take care of our physical well-being as a nation. I can't promise you everything is going to be okay regarding your own physical well-being. I can't say this morning that you won't be diagnosed with cancer. I can't tell you today that you won't lose your job. I can't tell you today that you won't wreck your car, that your house won't burn. But what I can promise you is that ultimately everything is going to be Okay. God spared Peter, but not James. But may I ask you a question this morning? Where are they now? You see, both James and Peter were faithful apostles of God. Peter would ultimately lose his life also for preaching the gospel. But where are they now? They're both in the hands of a loving, just God. And if we can understand anything about what Jesus was saying as he was dying on the cross and talking to the thief, and anything that is regarding the, the story of the rich man and Lazarus, both Peter and James are in the bosom of Abraham. Both Peter and James are in the paradise of God. James just got there first. Everything will ultimately be okay if I remain faithful to my God. But God rules in the kingdoms of men. It may not be to preserve our physical well-being. Number two, though God rules, our prayers are needed. Again, let me call your attention back to the book of Acts chapter 12 at verse number 5. Peter is kept in prison, the Bible says, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. 
Do we understand that God's actions are influenced by our prayers? James chapter 5 verse 16 says, Therefore confess your faults to one another, or sins to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual, King James Version says, or the prayer of the righteous person has great power as it works, according to the English Standard Version. You see, our prayers come into the ears of God. And He hears and He answers our prayers. No wonder then He commands us in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, that we are to pray for kings and for all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful life and a quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. May God help us to have that kind of life, but we're praying for our leaders in order that we can have that. But even more than that, look at Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 in the Old Testament. God said, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. He was saying that in regard to the, uh, to the Israelites, to the Jewish people of that time, to the land that he had promised to give them. But I believe the promise is equally as true today if we turn from the sinful actions that we have in our world and we pray to God, God will forgive and God will preserve. You see, though God rules, our prayers are needed. But then next, God rules and His will will be accomplished in spite of the best efforts of men to the contrary. What do you mean by that? Well, again, look at Acts chapter 12. Look at verse number 6 this time in your Bible. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on, the, on that very night, Peter was sleeping. Now, watch this next part of that verse. Peter was sleeping, but where was he sleeping? What does the Bible say? Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries or guards before the door were guarding the prison. Two men were one on either side evidently of Peter. Peter was sleeping. He's tied down not with one chain but with two and they still have guards on the outside of the door watching. You see, it seems for, the, for every practical purpose that Peter was secure. He's not getting away. There's no possible way that he's going to escape, that he's going to get out. But he did because God divinely and miraculously released him from prison that day, that night rather. That angel came and he tapped Peter on the, on the arm and said, Wake up! Peter woke up. Angel said, Put your clothes on! He put his clothes on. Now, I don't know about y'all, but if I had been planning that escape, I would have been sleeping with my clothes on, I would have been ready to go, and I would at least have one eye open, you know, so that when, I, when, when something was going on, Peter, you see, he recognized that his fate would probably be the same as his good friend and co-worker, James. 
but he was asleep. God came and he miraculously released him from prison. But then look at verse 18 of Acts chapter 12. Notice what the Bible says. Now when day was come, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. Can you imagine that conversation when they themselves come to realize our prisoner is gone? Can you imagine the question, how in the world did he get out? Because I was standing there, I was watching the door, well I was tied to him and he got away. There was no small disturbance, the Bible said. They had taken every precaution to stop Peter from getting out. But God wanted him out. And he got him out. Folks can ban God from schools and other public places. They can boldly defy God and even execute Christians. But let me promise you something. God is going to win. God's going to win. I don't know that this is the right word, but isn't it ironic that instead of Peter being killed by Herod, Herod himself would die at the hands of Peter's God. And God struck him with the worms. God rules and his will is accomplished in spite of the best efforts of men to the contrary. Next, God rules regardless of whether crowds recognize it or not. In Acts chapter 12, 12 verses 20 through 22, now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and and that's what Jeff read for us this morning. They get an audience with the king through Blastus. On the appointed day, verse 21, Herod put on his royal robes. He took his seat upon the throne and he delivered a great speech. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. You know, Herod must have looked awesome. Probably even God-like in his royal robes. Josephus in Antiquities 19.8.2 said this, He put on a garment made holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy, put on a garment made holy of silver and of a contexture truly wonderful and came into the theater early in the morning, at which time the silver of his garment, being illuminated by the fresh reflection of the sun's rays upon it, shone out after a surprising manner, and was so resplendent as to spread a horror over those who looked intently upon him. And presently his flatterers cried out, one from one place and another from another, though not for his good, that he was a God. Imagine this king as he enters in and the sun is shining in the, in the amphitheater. And, and as he walks in, he has on this silver garment made out of silver and now it's shining and reflecting the sun. 
and he makes this great speech, and they want him to flatter him anyway, and they start crying out, the voice of a God, not of a man, the voice of a God. You see, the crowds, they were seeking to recognize him and honor him, not the true and living God. They were glad because he evidently had decided that he would make trade with the Tyrians and the Sidonians and, 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 and that, that everything was going to be okay in their land and that everything was going to get back to normal and they would have food and they would have jobs and they would have everything and now he's providing for us and we're so glad and we're so thankful to him for what he has done for us, how he has been so gracious to us, how he's made everything right again. Now he looks like a God. Even dressed like one. The voice of a God, not of a man. Voice stirred up the crowd. And they chanted and they hollered. You know, a lot of times in our own day, we do the same thing. Because we put our trust in our legislators and not in our Lord. We claim they're the gods that can fix everything if we just vote the right way. And it won't work. Romans chapter 14 and verse 11 says, For it is written, As I live, says the Lord. And he's lived eternally. As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. Every tongue shall confess to God. God rules regardless if every single person except the one sitting in this audience turn their back on him. Even if the ones in this audience did, God would still in spite of the crowds that day who was still in control God was for he struck Herod so that he died God rules regardless of whether rulers give him credit Acts 12 22 and 23 the people were shouting the voice of a God not of a man and immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. He was eaten by worms and breathed his last. There are a lot of speculation as to what exactly happened to Herod. I've read everything from doctors discussing how it was possibly kidney disease that had uh, affected him to uh, tapeworms that had caused a cyst that burst and caused him agony at that point. I don't know exactly. It's difficult language, but I do know whatever it was, God caused it and used it to strike him down at that point, at that moment, at that time. According to Josephus, he lived five days after the attack, whatever it was that took place at that time, in extreme and utter agony, Sounds like something happened to his intestines. Sounds like perhaps a worm had eaten through and now he's gone septic 
And his body is just decaying from the inside out. What a miserable, horrible way to go. He didn't give him credit, but God was still in control. Lewis tried to throw the weight around. Herod had tried to control Tyre and Sidon. Uh, he had examined the centuries and put them to death when, when he couldn't find Peter, according to verse number 19. But he still wasn't completely in control. You know, one of the amazing passages in the Old Testament is found in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 9 through 17. And I'm not going to take time to read it, but I hope you'll write it down and go home and read it after you get home. It's a story there, or a passage there, that talks about the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, at his death. And it's pictured as though he has entered into the place of punishment. And the people who are there basically look at him and say, Oh, there's the big man who's come down, and you're just like us now. You're just like the rest of us. You're punished by God. Rulers can try to throw their weight around. They can try to claim the credit and not give it to God. But God still rules. But what's this last one as we get ready to close? God rules in a manner consistent with what is best for spreading his word. Don't forget what he said in verse number 24. After the story of James and his death, after the story of Peter being arrested and his release, after the story of what happens with Herod and his utter fall, here's the words. But the word of God increased and multiplied. You see, God stopped the evil ruler from doing more harm to the spread of the gospel by slaying more of the apostles. It wasn't time. God wasn't ready for that to happen. And he put a stop to it. In this case, in a miraculous sense, there were miracles that were still performed in that day. God doesn't use the miraculous today. He still uses his providence, though. And sometimes it may be that hardships are brought on people to bring folks back to him. There are other ways in which God can bring others back. We can see that as it unfolds for us in the Old Testament. But whatever it is that God uses, whether it be hardships, you know, a lot of times people in their hardship, they want to start studying and learning what God has to say. They have nowhere else to go. And whatever it is, God can use his own power, his own will to accomplish the spreading of his word. You don't have to ask the question, what will it take to bring our nation back to him? Whether we acknowledge it or not, whether the crowds do, whether we think it is possible, God is still ruling. We as, we as Christians need to continue to put our trust in him. It may not be for our own personal benefit and physical health and well-being, but God is still in control, and I still trust him. And I still know and I still understand that he can work it out so that ultimately everything will be okay for me. That depends on my faithfulness. That depends on what I live in my life, whether I stand with him 
or not. Perhaps you're here this morning and you know today is the day that you want to become a Christian to put your Lord on in baptism. You know that that's what you need to do to have your sins washed away. When you start singing this invitation song, you walk down this aisle. We'll help you in your obedience. Maybe you're here today and right here at the beginning of this new year you've realized that you haven't lived in the way God wants you to live and you're ready to come home. You recognize the power of God and that He rules, that He will make everything okay if we will just let Him, ultimately. God rules in the kingdoms of men. And that means He is the ruler of every single one of us, whether we bow now or not. But I hope that we'll bow now because one day we'll have no choice. We will bow. But it's then that if we haven't bowed now, that he will say, after we've bowed, depart. He'll still have the authority because he will still be ruling for eternity at that point. If you're here today and you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, don't let anything hinder you. Come right now as together we stand and sing.